want you to sing with me, Tim. Roll away your stone, I'll roll okay. away mine. I wonder what that means. Hey, is that a Jesus thing? Or maybe Together he's got uh, gallstones. What? Gallstones. Kidney stones. Gallstones. Don't leave me This is one of the best albums ever as far as I'm concerned. This is the big Mumford and Son album. For I'm afraid of what I will discover inside. You know what they don't need is me singing with them. Great. Eric Metaxas is uh, number one New York Times best-selling author of everything you wanted to know about God, what we're afraid to ask. Best known for his number one New York Times best-selling book, Bonhoeffer. And the more recent, <laughs> if you can, is that how he said it? <laughs> Was that the person who inquisited him? <laughs> I know nothing. If you can keep it, if you can keep it, that's his more recent book, if you can keep it. Eric Metaxas provides a witty, sometimes, and highly accessible resource for those who want to explore honest questions about God and Christianity, and as the Simpsons say, jeebas. Uh, but na- maybe they don't want to crack open the Bible. No. Right? Maybe when they're in that hotel room, they don't want to look in that drawer. No. Forget the Gideons. Get Metaxas. <laughs> he should have t-shirts <laughs> yes. made like that. Ladies and gentlemen... On the Drew Marshall Show, one more time, our very good friend, Mr. Eric Metaxas. Hello, Mr. Metaxas. <laughs> hey there. Uh, it's always fun to be on your show, Drew. Thanks for asking me. I appreciate it. That just sounded like a thing you would say to everybody. I thought we were closer than that, Hey. Eh? Okay, let me, uh, let me rephrase that. I hate your guts, man. <laughs> Why are you wasting my time on a Saturday afternoon when I should be spending time with my family? Wow. Wow. He used to be a Catholic, you can tell, because he just rolled out the guilt big time there. (laughs) No, uh, I've been on your show many times. I I do feel like it's fun to talk to you, so I was not blowing smoke, my man. Okay, all right. Um, Somebody tweeted and wanted to know everything you wanted to know about God. They were saying, um, what I want to know is, will Eric ever stop wearing square handkerchiefs? Only when I snorkel. Right. <laughs> See, he said it never makes sense. But no, he's quick. I but like he's it. Quick. Um, I'm keeping it real. When was the last time you saw Woody Allen? I saw Woody Allen uh, two months ago uh, in person. I assume n- not on screen. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. I had the I had the great privilege of being invited to Dick Cavett's 80th birthday party, and the Woodman was at that party along with. Uh, other hot shots like uh, I almost said Alec Guinness. Uh, no, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Alec, Alec Baldwin. Alec Trump. And uh, but uh, Alec Guinness, that would have been that'd be the best. That would be. No, he, he's yes. gone. But you know, he was a serious Christian at the end of his life. I had no idea. I just found that out. Catholic, very serious. Right. Uh, well, you gotta yeah, be, you gotta be serious. If Alec you're, Guinness. Yeah. Um, well, no, you don't. You can be a cafeteria Catholic, which is to say, a big hypocrite. Right. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. Boom, roasted. Hey, hey uh, there was, I saw a quote about you in the news the other day, and uh, apparently, um, I'm not sure if it was taken out of context like some quotes are, like most quotes are, uh, but um, it made you sound like like you were you were upset that Walt Disney had a gay character in their in their movie and then I, <laughs> and then I read the article and went and went, no, that's not the point at all that's he was trying to make I said not even close, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know what? A quote taken out of context is not even a quote, is it? No. What is it? That's, oh, listen. Did you hear that? Say that again, Eric. That That is a quote. Now, that was a quote. A quote taken out of context Uh, is not a quote. A quote taken out of context is actually not a quote. That's beautiful. Uh, 
a quote taken out of context is actually not a quote, Eric Metaxas. That'll be the only quote that I ever get into a, a book of quotes. A yeah. quote taken out of context is actually not a quote. Yeah. Right. So what were you actually saying in that article that was misquoted by ChristianPost.com? I write, um, I, I write for Breakpoint, which Chuck Colson used to do Breakpoint, and it's basically commentaries on anything from what we call like a biblical worldview. So it could be about a movie, a book, it could be about politics or a trend on TV or something. But this was about how, how Hollywood keeps retreading the same stories over and over. It's almost become a joke where everything is the same, you know? So the fact that they did a Beauty and the Beast live move, live action movie when just 20 years ago they, you know, they did the whatever, it, it's like they've run out of ideas, and it's it's just a little odd. So I was kind of commenting on that. It's not like a big deal, but it's just something that is very noticeable that, that half the movie seemed to be retreads of something that was made yeah. 20 years ago or 30 years ago, whatever. And I said the only fresh thing about this version was the little LGBT shout-out, which is just kind of bizarre, you know. Yeah. Like, that's that's the only kind of new new thing in there. But, yeah, no, that's uh, that has nothing to do with anything I'm interested in talking about, so please go ahead. <laughs> You're so funny. He's so witty. Thank you. He's so Thank witty. You. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's – I want the quickest shotgun – uh, speed round answers for these questions that you talk about and tear apart in your book. You add a lot yes, more sir. context, a lot more substance in your book, but I want you to, to drop the Reader's Digest version on me uh, to these questions. Are you ready? Are you ready? Speed round. Maybe. Okay, here we go. Sure. How can a good God create a world that has evil and suffering? I don't know. Great. Pass. It's got, <laughs> pass. Pass. <laughs> the one thousand. What is that? One hundred thousand dollar pyramid. Yes. What was the best game yeah, show? Yeah. Eric, I know you'd be an amazing game show host. What game show would you have liked to uh, have uh, hosted back oh, in the day? Would you? Would you, you know, like to have taken over from Soupy Sales? I would. Soupy Sales is the best. Yeah. Soupy Sales is the best. But I, I there's a whole bunch. But I think. Um, uh, Alec Baldwin, I just mentioned, is now doing Match Game. All right. And here's what's, here's what's interesting. This is kind of interesting. The fact that when I watched Match Game in the 70s, right, uh, it was Gene Rayburn. Yeah. And, and the game was, like, it was always stupid. I mean, it was always dumb. But now, because the celebrities, like, go to either the F word or something sexually gross, like, every time, yeah. it's predictable, banal, it's just a stunning thing how you can't do it unless you have that, like, little frisson of transgression, you know? Like, if you have that, but now, like, everything's transgression, so it's just kind of boring. Right. But that's another story for another time, for another show. We should probably talk know, about your book. Should we talk about your book? <laughs> nah. I want to hear a game show we'd host. Yeah, you didn't actually I, answer that. I Well, it's kind of funny because the, the thing that I love, I love game shows where there is banter. Right. And if you think about stuff like remember to tell the truth, yes, or whatever, there's this kind of back and forth, or what's my line? What's my line? There was this kind of back and forth, and you know, trying to figure stuff out. But Hollywood Squares allowed for a little banter, a little bit. Yeah, I like the banter of uh, the Newlywed Game. I was just going to say Bob yeah. Newhart, although that was benign, and Bob all Newhart. the other big words that you said too. Uh, were when the... you first made Whoopi, yes, <laughs> Whoopi, I love that. Well, Whoopi isn't is that the I'm greatest yeah. phrase you've ever heard in your life? Making Whoopi. Yes. When yes. you first made Whoopi, 
I, I still to this day I've never heard it outside that game, the game, the game show. Well, that's how uh, uh, one of the panelists on The View was named. She was named after what created oh, her. Oh, yes. thank you, Kim Cattrall. Um, how can a good God create a world that, that is fine. evil and suffering? Go. I think you just asked me that. Well, you know what? This is this is actually brings up the bigger issue, the real issue. Okay, I think a lot of people who are serious about their Christian faith think that that means they have to have all the answers, right? And I think the first thing that we need to be able to say is God doesn't want us to lie or to make stuff up. So if the answer is, I don't know, or I have questions about my, that myself, that's the right answer, right? So if somebody says to me, how can a good God allow suffering? I can give you some ideas, but there's no sufficient answer. The human heart will always want to know why. It doesn't make sense to me, and it doesn't make sense to me, Eric Metaxas, knowing God as I know him, knowing the Bible as I know it. I, I still have that question. It doesn't mean I doubt God. I don't. I have enough information to know that he's real, that Jesus is real, that he loves me, that he wants me to live forever with him in heaven. I mean, like, I don't have any doubt about that. But this other thing is a big head-scratcher. So I think usually evangelical Christians, born-again Christians, Jesus freaks like myself, we, we think that we have to have all the answers. And I would first say no. One thing we could learn from the Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox is mystery. There is a time when there is a mystery. Mystery doesn't mean I don't care. It just means I cannot know. Any more than a five-year-old can understand certain deep things discussed by his parents, you, you, you just can't know. And I think that when, it talks, when we talk about how can a good God allow suffering, uh, an all-powerful God, I mean, I could talk around that. I've got all kinds of interesting ideas, but the bottom line is this is a mystery, and most of us, when we get to heaven, that's the first thing we're going to try to understand, because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. Sure. It doesn't contradict God. God is huge, but it's just not something that I am particularly fond of, you know? So it's like a five-year-old trying to comprehend something that the kid's parents are talking about, like Whoopi. A five-year-old will never... Like, under- like Whoopi. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, it, it, that's exactly right. In other words, it takes a certain level of maturity to process things, which actually gets to a bigger point which is that not everything is about information, right? If it was just about information, um, we could be like robots, but we're not. Like, we have souls, and there's this issue of wisdom and maturity. How do you quantify uh, or even qualify wisdom? What is wisdom? It's not just like a computer can't be wise. A computer can be smart, but it can't be wise. To comprehend the truths of God uh, or I would say the truths of humanity, because we're creating God's image, you have to have an element of wisdom to get them. I mean, you, you, we've all met people who are really smart, but they're not wise, right? And I really think that when you're talking about the big questions of God, they're questions of the heart as much as of the mind, and it takes wisdom. And by the way, you can't force somebody to be wise. So some people are just always going to like talk around it. They can't get to the heart of it. You know, like for example, when you say nobody wants to suffer, but God can use suffering to bring us closer to him, to give us more empathy for other people, to make us deeper people. Nobody says, "Oh, sign me up for that." On the other hand, it gives you a positive view of suffering that if I have to go through a life and suffering is involved, God can use that suffering to actually make me a better person with a bigger heart. Um, that's just not something that 
you know, a shallow person is going to sign up for it. They're like, I don't give a crap. I just want to have a good time. Like, I don't want suffering. And I kind of think, like, that's one of those things that every culture in the history of the world has understood that, you know, the tribal elders have wisdom. It's not just information. It's something else. It's something bigger. And that implies that we should have a little humility towards this concept of wisdom. So I, I don't know what started me on that. but that's No, but the, by the length of there. the answers, you can tell that he has his own radio show, folks. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, man, it's true. It's true. I'm going to answer this question for you. I'm going to ask the question, then answer the question, and then go to the follow-up question. And here's the question. Is God anti-women? No. So the follow-up question is, if God is not anti-women, then why do so many tribes within the Jesus scene poo-poo women running things? Go. Well, I think you talk about context. First of all, you have to look at look at the context. If you go back to the time of Jesus, Jesus uh, and the early Christians did incredibly radical things with regard to women for the time. For example, who were the first people to that Jesus appeared to in his resurrected body? Women. It was women. Okay, now that sort of proves that it actually happened. Because if you were concocting a story, the last person you would mention as, like, the witnesses were women. Back in those they days. they did not have status in those days. Yeah. They did not have status. So that's an example of how Christianity uh, is pro-woman. It's, like, very radical for 2,000 years ago. Um, but also Jesus' um, uh, followers, there were a number of prominent women among his followers. Mary and Martha... Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary and Martha were the sisters of Lazarus, his friend, right? Yeah. He hung out with them, and they sat at his feet while he was teaching, just like the rest of them did. And it, it's kind of interesting, because that was really not normal in those days. So that doesn't wipe out, you know, God's view that the genders are different, and that they're different roles, and, there's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't wipe that out, but it does change this kind of harsh patriarchal view, which you see, by the way, in Islam. Islam today is exactly what, when everybody's complaining about what they think Christianity is, Islam actually is that. And I'm not saying all Islam, but most of it. Those cultures are genuinely harsh toward women. They treat women uh, very poorly. I mean, think of this concept, right? If In the Christian uh, development in the West, in, in Europe, out of a biblical view, you get this thing called chivalry, right? Where the, where men say, oh, women, they're the weaker sex, therefore I will lay down my life for her. Now, uh, a modern woman would be like, I don't need any man to lay down his life for me. Like, step aside. I'll, yeah. I, I'll take care of myself. Ain't nobody got time for that. Idea, but just the idea uh, that a man says, I will lead by laying down my life. I will die for you. I mean, that's God's idea of leadership. Now, the other view of leadership is I'm strong, you're weak, I'm going to take care of me, and you better take care of yourself, or or be my slave or concubine or or whatever. That's the old patriarchal view. So I think that when we're talking about gender roles and stuff, it's way more complicated than people tend to make it. And if people are just ideologues on this issue, there's no arguing with them. If somebody is just, like, stuck on one issue, you know, you cannot— yeah, they have to sort of try to look at the bigger picture, but you can't force them to. I mean, if people want to uh, make a caricature of Christians, it's no different than people who make caricatures of gays, say they're like they're all mincing 
effeminate, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, they're not. But if you want to think that, nobody can stop you. Yeah. If you want to think all black people are this or that, nobody can stop you. Yeah. I think it's the same with Christians. They're people, they have issues with Christianity, and so they find convenient <clears throat> stereotypes uh, that Christians are stupid or they're this or that, whatever. And, you know, you can't really talk people out of that. So I, I try not even try. Eric Metaxas on the line. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and uh, his latest hit, folks, his latest hit, Everything You Wanted to Know About God But Were Afraid to Ask, uh, the foreword uh, by Woody Allen. <laughs> so here's the... Here, yeah. What? what? Woody <laughs> Allen did not write the foreword to the book, but Dick Cavett did write a blurb for it. Dick Cavett, who's an atheist and a liberal, really liked the book. Do you think Dick Cavett, has he spoken publicly about his atheism? Is he open about that? Oh yeah, he okay. he, uh, he interviewed me um, uh, about my miracles book a couple of years ago, Man. and it's really clear that he is an atheist or at least an agnostic. Yeah. I think he would be one of the hardest interviews if someone was to interview him. I can see him as if you're going to ask me something so stupid, you are going to get stupid right back. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's super sharp. Yeah, he's super sharp, uh, and yeah, he doesn't often suffer fools gladly. No. But if he were a Christian, he would. Really? Yeah. Um, okay, listen, uh, here's a, one of the questions you deal with in this book of yours. How can anyone take the Bible seriously? And here's the deal, uh, Mr. Metaxas. I, I think the reason people ask that question is because, uh, well, Tim, what do you say all the time about uh, it's, not, it's not Jesus? God is it's, not the problem, it's his fan club? It's his fan club. So basically what we're saying is... Um, there seem to be an inordinate amount of morons within the tribe of Jesus, Jesus followers, that yeah. um, that take up little petty, goofy issues and make the issues big, like you know, two-trick pony. Like, you know, Christians were always known as as what they're against instead of what they're for, and they're always known as the two-trick yeah. pony: abortion and gays, abortion and gays, abortion and gays. So I'm just wondering: does this question, how can anyone take the Bible seriously, just come from a point of view of because how can anyone take Christians seriously? Uh, well, those are two different issues. But again, you know, Drew, you can never convince people. If people want to see Christians negatively, and most people have a vested interest in doing that, because there's something about Christianity which may force them to do something they don't want to do. So if they can kick it away conveniently by turning people into stereotypes and creating straw man arguments, they're going to do that. So the idea that Christians are blah, 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 fill in all the blanks, all the negative stuff— I would take issue with that, because first of all, that is itself a kind of racism or tribalism. Like, you're lumping people into a group. That's to dehumanize people, right? I can do that. If I do that with blacks or Jews or women, people right away go, oh, you can't do that. But when people do it with Christians, it's kind of like, oh, it's cool to do that. It's never cool to do that. We should try to look at people as individuals. And if people want to just get in arguments, they can always, you know, they can create stereotypes and do that whole thing. My attitude is that Human beings are messed up. So every group is going to have people in it who are loudmouthed, who are representing the group poorly. And But you cannot seriously think that they speak for the whole group. And I just think that, you know, that's one of the problems we've always faced. And frankly, the media is a, is a big example of that. Most of the media is secular, politically liberal. You're not really going to get a fair representation because they already have this kind of built-in hostility. Not 100 percent of the time. But my experience is most of the time they don't speak the language that like conservative Christians speak. So they look at you like you've got two heads and, and, and they're going to, you know, 
And so you're already starting out where it's, it's awkward. I have met an infinite number of brilliant, emotionally healthy, kind, generous, serious Christians. But I don't see them on TV. I don't really often hear them uh, on the radio or whatever. No, they're, they're not really represented sufficiently in the culture so people can get a fair view of what Christians are actually like, which is what was the biggest shock when I became Christian 20-whatever, eight years ago. That was my biggest shock. I kept meeting these amazing Christians, and I thought, where have they been hiding? Yeah. Like, I'd read books by people, and I'd say, well, I never heard of this book. Like, wh- why don't people know about these things? So at this point in life, I'm doing what you're doing. I have a radio show, and I try to kind of get this stuff out there because I say there are tons of people who have never ever heard of this as a concept or a category or whatever. I had a guy I had a guy in my program the other day. He was a captain in the Colombo crime family, like one of the top mafia figures in the United States of America. Um, he became a Christian in solitary, like in nineteen ninety something or whatever. Like it just blew his mind. He is the only man of the 50 people that Forbes magazine listed as the, the 50 top mafia people in America in 1986, he was number 18. Everybody on that list is dead, except for three people who are incarcerated. He is the only one who is out and walking around. His story is one of the most fascinating stories I've ever encountered. And then I thought to myself, okay, like a lot of these people, it's not just a fascinating story, but the question is, how come I've never heard this anywhere? Yeah. I watch TV, I read books. Not a hint. He doesn't exist. Christians have never heard of him. And you hear the story and you think, like, that's part of the problem. So for me, it's one of the reasons that I like you is because it's about the culture. Yeah. It's about having conversations in the culture, and there's so little of that. So anyway, it goes a long way. Um, you said one of the reasons I like you. Uh, what, uh, what, are the, what are the other reasons you like me? The, the other reasons? Yeah. You don't, you don't threaten me because you're too good looking? <laughs> There's a lot of guys that are too good looking. I just find that threatening. Right. But you, you don't, uh, you, you you don't, don't have that problem. No. 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 I noticed that in your headshot uh, these days, the glasses are gone. The um, the uh, 1980s. Oh, the new headshot. Glasses are gone. That's right. Yeah. They were not 1980s glasses. <laughs> <laughs> you and I could just rattle on forever. By the way, that's the. I told you I like talking to you. You thought I was blowing smoke because you're cynical. Do you? Yeah, it's a spiritual gift. Do you think I? Um, hmm, no, I don't want to ask that question. I because I, look, I know a guy in New York that I'm actually going to go down and visit uh, soon. Actually, we should probably hang out uh, if you like me that much when I'm down I there. Would, I would love because I love that. I, Give me a little warning. I'd love that. I'm gonna, <laughs> a little warning. I'm sorry. I'm in Cuba right well, now, just, Drew. No, so I don't make I don't make other plans. Um, you know, like I'll keep that open. Well, I've got to visit. Uh, I've sure. got to visit Peter Gilmore, the high priest of the Church of Satan at the Black House in Upper New York. Uh, you're, Are you serious? Yeah. I don't know who that is. He's the high priest of the Church Man. of Satan. You're always grooving on the rubble. Yeah, baby. Uh, so listen, I, I I have a bigger question. I got a bigger name on the line too. I got to get to uh, soon. But <laughs> um, oh, sorry, sorry. What does the Bible say about things like UFOs, ESPN, and the afterlife? <laughs> well, the, the the short answer is that. Uh, that there's a spiritual reality out there, okay? So when people say there's no such thing as anything or ghosts or blah, 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 I would say, listen, there is a spiritual reality, but here's the the, the creepy thing is that it's not all good. In other words, yes, there's God and there's Jesus, but you can encounter the spiritual realm 
and there are demonic forces that are like if you understood what you're dealing with you would run you would never play with a ouija board or even go anywhere near that stuff because it can mess you up forever uh and you know do you really believe that eric you're a pretty intelligent guy you really believe that no doubt zero doubt there is unbelievable evidence. I have talked to an infinity of people on this subject. Yep. I have experienced things myself. There is no doubt. Now, again, it's just the same old thing. Just because there are crazy people who love to talk about this stuff yeah. doesn't change the fact, you know, there are crazy people who love to talk about the periodic table. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. <laughs> you know, but those same people that talk about, uh, you know, you t- play with a we- uh, wedgie board, you'll, you'll, it'll get you forever. Um you know, they would say to me, Drew, you need to go get deliverance ministry healing because I grew up in a funeral home and handled a lot of dead people over the years, and I might have had demon transference. Okay, and why would you not want that? That's like getting your shots. Why would you not want to do that? Because I'm not sure I believe it's true. Or because you're you're afraid that it's true? No, not af- really. I have seen, I've actually seen deliverance. Like, I hadn't seen deliverance about a year and a half ago. You mean Burt Reynolds and a banjo playing and... No? Uh, no. Not, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I, what, what I'm saying is that this is, this is a reality. Look, Jesus delivered people all the time from demons. This is basic stuff. If you go to any culture, go to Africa, they, they believe in this stuff. They yeah. just don't know how to deal with it. They don't know that Jesus is the trump card, that, he, that the demons flee from him, so they just go to a bigger demon. It's like, you're, you're, like petty criminals are bugging you. So you go to the bigger criminal who's going to take care of them. You know, like, you don't really want help from the bigger criminal because he's going to ask you for something at some point. You're not going to want to give it to him, and you're going to have to. Like, Mm. you know, you don't want to get in bed with these dark powers. And I don't have any doubt that that they're real. I don't have any doubt that they're real. I mean, I can – we could talk about that for an hour. Yeah. easy. That's like there's no doubt about it. So I guess, uh, with having said what you just said, you don't want to join me when I go to the high priest of Church of Satan. Where does he live? Where does he live? Uh, Upper New York. I can't tell you. I cannot reveal the location of at this point. But I mean, Upper New York. New York is like— I know. I'm not telling you where he lives. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Is like I, I doubt that I could go even if I wanted to. Oh, okay. so no, but you wouldn't go because if you walked into the door of the Black House or the Church of Satan, you f- you'd get a you'd get a demon or something. You'd get no, infected. No, no, I'm afraid that demons would flee because Jesus is inside me. He should be afraid blah, blah. if I show up there. Oh, what? He should be afraid. He should be afraid of me because <laughs> stuff's going to happen if I show up. Dude. And he's not as good looking as Drew, so you'd be fine. Yes. Eric, um, I, you are a frustrating individual because it's so easy. Look, you know, I don't know whether you know this, but I've, I've come out uh, fairly not too long ago as a doubter, right? So I've come out. I'm no longer an evangelical certaintist, and um, and I'm so I'm Mr. Doughty Pants now. And as a matter of fact, I just finished walking a thousand kilometers on the Camino de Santiago in three months uh, of a vow of silence. Imagine me not talking for three months. Now, well, wait a minute. What does it have to do with being a doubter? That's a, that's a very interesting thing. Because the noise is impacting my belief system. And, um, and I do believe that if we shut up long enough, that truth comes to the surface. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Because there, but but you've got to understand that, again, there are dark forces competing with the truth. I mean, look, I've talked to people who say, you know, a voice told me to do this or that. So my question is, is the voice from Jesus or is the voice from the other side? Because just because you heard a voice, why are you listening to the voice, you know? 
And I think you do have to be careful. Mm. I think you have to be, I, I mean, look, I don't know how to say it, except that, you know, you're dealing with stuff that is that is real, right? I also think you got to be careful about doubt, Drew, because, like, right now, it's so chic to doubt. It is so cool to be the doubter that you have to be honest with yourself. Is that part of the reason that it's attractive to you? Right. And, and uh, you don't know me. You don't know me. <laughs> you don't know me well enough to know that uh, that I... Um, I was doubting long before it was chic, and uh, and I, yet I, at the same no, time no, no, I, I have challenged myself with that exact thinking. Dude, are you is are you just are you just a byproduct of your culture? Is that really what this I, is about? Sorry. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? No, that's what I'm saying no, to myself. I'm just saying it's like I think that the the the, the edgiest thing you know you yeah. could be today is to say I, I believe in Jesus because everybody's like what you know like right you know it, it's kind of like. It's a real balance to know, uh, you know, when are you falling in love with asking questions because you don't you, really want an answer. Well, hold on, you just you, you just threw out two two uh, diametrically opposing views. You sort of said, you know, it's kind of trendy to be a doubter, and then you went, but it's really radical to believe in Jesus. Well, which is more exactly. radical? Because no, 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 that's exactly. what I want to be is radical, exactly. man. No, no, no. But then I did, then I then I circled back and I said that that's the point is that. That that question always exists, right? right? Like, is it? I mean, I would say on a standard level, yes. To say I believe in Jesus in this culture, like that's the shocker. It's kind of like you know, in the '60s, everybody's like, "I'm cool and wearing ripped jeans and whatever." Like, you want to blow people's minds, put on a three-piece suit, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody is now into the anti-uniform, which is actually its own uniform. Yeah, All- and I think that being a doubter and having questions has become so normal that like it's it begins to get hard for me to take it seriously it's like i want to say are you really asking questions or are you just kind of floating along because you're i totally get a real it. answer totally get it yeah i know you, of course you do yeah of course i do all i know, yeah, I know eric all i know is that two thongs still don't make it right that is not something i've ever heard or will remember <laughs> <laughs> this is why I like this guy. This is why I like this guy. Eric Metaxas, uh, number one New York Times bestselling author extraordinaire. You might remember him from such books as Bonhoeffer, but he just released this one. Everything you wanted to know about God, but were afraid to ask. I just have so many scenes from the Woody Allen movie coming into my head right now, which is not helping well, me in this context. The, the movie, the, everything you always want to know about sex, but afraid to ask, was written back when sex was the taboo subject, but today God is a taboo Beautiful. subject. So I figured, like, we need to kind of come out of the closet. By the way, the reason we haven't talked in such a long time is because I was, like, hiding in a cave writing my Luther book. My Luther book is finished, and I finally can talk on the phone like I'm talking now. But it's going to be, like, a pretty big book, not as big as Bonhoeffer, but it's coming out in October, and I hope I can talk to you about that. Now, that That'll be good. amazing. That'll be good. Being. What a nut. He was a nut. Yeah. You love, you love him. You know his story. Oh, I do. What And what a singer. Luther Vandross, folks. Uh, just... <laughs> Incredible. And that speech he made from yeah, the Washington so Monument. That speech so he made, yeah. yeah. Um, Eric, dude, I really, I always love ch- chatting with you. Uh, you are sharp, you are brilliant, and you are sexy. Thank you. <laughs> Any, Drew, seriously, anytime, I, I'm not just saying that, I love talking to you, and since my book is done now, I will try to find the time. So thank you for uh, for giving me an opportunity to goof around. Be well, my friend. Okay, bless you. Bye-bye. EricMetaxas.com. EricMetaxas.com. We will be right back with uh, Drew Sokol and Corey Markham. 
Uh, one's a pastor, one's an atheist, and they are the hosts of the Hinge podcast. A pastor and an atheist uh, are on the show, so you want to tune in as they get it on. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.